Audio Chimera, a subversive podcast taking refuge in the sanctuary of allegory about the fragility of memory. This is episode number 55, A Toy Obsession. And here's a disclaimer. This following podcast was recorded without enough coffee. That may explain the growly voice, nasality, and lack of diction. Someone recently mentioned Cabbage Patch Dolls, and I suddenly went into a whirlwind of memories about my time working at Toys R Us, the year that Cabbage Patch Dolls became the in toy for that year. Now, does that happen anymore? Do people become obsessed with toys anymore? It seems like Christmas seasons pass and there's not that hot item that everybody has to try to get or fight over in stores. So maybe that's a a phenomenon that's left us and people have replaced it with radical ideas about politics. But uh, actually, it would be better if people fought over toys, wouldn't it? So what happened was, I believe this was 1983, and a friend of mine from undergrad years had called and said he wanted to hire me for the security booth at Toys R Us because I knew something about computers. I don't know where you get this idea. I played a lot of computer games when I was at Ohio State. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot about this in my digital tech memoir that I'm writing right now. So I'll leave the details of that to the memoir. But anyway, I come in for an interview. He says, have you had experience with computers? I say, of course, because you don't want to disappoint your interviewer who's invited you in, right? So anyway, they assigned me to the security booth. So the security booth is at the front of Toys R Us. Uh, There's a locked door, and in it is a counter with windows, plexiglass windows. And behind that are rows and rows of software. Around the corner in the back room were the larger items... So that's where you would find your ColecoVision, your Mattel Intellivision, your Atari 5200s, and so on. And the security booth was also the source of the Cabbage Patch dolls. So Cabbage Patch dolls, for some reason, were a big item, and people had to have them for their kids. They would promise them but then they didn't know how to get them. And the Toys R Us system was a little different from a lot of places. Some stores would put them out on display and people would find out, the store would open, they'd go charging down the aisle, they'd grab the nearest Cabbage Patch doll, didn't matter what kind it was, 
and uh, perhaps, according to the media, anyway, they would fight over them, fisticuffs ensued, wrestling matches in the aisles, and things were crazy. So Toys R Us had a different system. It handled it like computer software. So if you wanted a pole position or pingo, for example, for your Atari, uh, you would go to the electronics aisle and you would take a ticket for that particular piece of software and you'd take it to the cash register, pay for it, and then you'd bring your slip and cash register receipt to the security booth. You'd hand that through the window I would take a look at it, see what it was for, and then hand out the piece of software. Cabbage Patch dolls were the same way. Now, I remember going to work one morning and going past this huge, incredibly huge, long line of people waiting for the store to open to get the Cabbage Patch dolls. There were probably more people in that line than there were Cabbage Patch dolls in the store. We would get a shipment, and somehow people would find out and show up the next morning. So anyway, uh, they opened the doors, people ran for the tickets, grabbed them. Uh, sometimes they were judicious, they wanted a preemie and not a regular baby, they wanted a girl and not a boy, and so on. But uh, they would come in the store, get the ticket, pay for it, and come to the booth. And then what I would do is, uh, and this is our system, bring out three of that particular kind of Cabbage Patch doll. So if they got... Uh, boy preemie, I would bring out three boy preemies in different clothes, and they would choose the one they wanted. I swear, one time a woman had an orgasm when I pushed it through the window uh, to her. She was so excited to have that thing in her hands. Now I have to tell you a little bit about the security booth itself. It was a very narrow space. There were two of us who worked in there. There was Scott and there was me. And Scott had been working there long before me as a seasonal employee, but I was new. And so I guess he thought he had some kind of seniority over me, even though he was a couple years younger and I had a master's degree at this point. Not that my education was important in this particular venue. We were not quite on the same level uh, as far as the world went, he saw himself becoming a Toys R Us manager, and I saw myself becoming a theater professional. So we had different career goals. And one day, um, it wasn't a particularly good day. Things were happening, uh, going kind of negatively for me, and I complained to Scott that something was just not working right. And he turned to me and he said, you must mistake me for a person who gives a crap. And I shut up. Don't need to talk to that. A few weeks later, he was having a bad day, and he was complaining about something that somebody had done or whatever, and I said, well, you must mistake me for somebody who gives a crap. And he stopped, and he laughed. He said, you remember I said that? And I said, yes. So you have to be careful what you say with people sometimes. The other thing about Scott was he was obsessed with video games. He had whatever console it was, I have no idea. But he would spend a lot of his money, his salary money every week, uh, buying video games. And one week, every day, multiple times a day, he would say, so what should I get, Steve? Should I get Pengo or should I get Pole Position? Who cares? 
I didn't, but I listen to this all the time. And so the words pango and pole position are forever intermingled in my memory as a result of Scott. couple of words about some of the other details of Toys R Us because it was a really interesting experience. There were the two main managers, one of whom was my friend, and then there were some assistant managers. And these people were not all that competent. One one day, we walked up to him to ask him a question. And as he was pondering the question, he was scratching his chest with his uh, permanent marker. And... um. It was uncapped, so he was basically drawing on his on his shirt, which we just stood there and stared at that. Not sure if this is the same manager or another who got a collar pin uh, for Christmas. It may have been gold, I don't know, but he was wearing it in front of his tie. He was not holding the shirt together so that his tie would rest on top of it. It was in front of the tie. And I said, hey, nice collar pin. And he said, thank you. He was very pleased that I had noticed. Now, one of my friends at the time wanted a Cabbage Patch doll, and they knew I worked at Toys R Us. And they said, hey, if you ever get a chance, get a Cabbage Patch doll. And as it turned out, one day a shipment came in, and the managers decided that this was a shipment for the employees, that we could buy them. And so I bought one and uh, took it home and took it out of the box, took some pictures of it because, you know, what else are you going to do with a newborn, right? And um, I, I still have this picture somewhere, I think, in my storage unit. I, st- I, I still don't understand what the draw of the Cabbage Patch dolls were. I mean, they were kind of cute. They were round. They had big eyes. They had a little smile. But what was it that made them the obsession for that year? Did somebody decide they had to be an obsession? Was it sort of that uh, Girl Scout cookie thing that they're, they don't taste that good always, but uh, they're rare and don't come around very often? What was it about Cabbage Patch dolls that was so amazingly attractive? I then, of course, gave the uh, Cabbage Patch doll to my friend, who was very excited to receive it. I might mention also that the security booth was the site of a slight injury for me. I was trying to get a ColecoVision, which were in huge boxes off a top shelf, and uh, it started to topple, and I grabbed for it and hurt my wrist. And I was later told by an assistant manager that you basically let the box fall and damage the merchandise rather than hurt yourself, which I thought was an interesting pro-worker sort of stance, but I just couldn't see something falling 10 feet to its uh, smashing demise, or worse yet, being sold to a customer. Eventually, my seasonal work ended, and I no longer had to report for duty early in the morning for the security booth. I did get rehired the following year, and then I was in the electronics aisle, 
which was really interesting because then I was with Brian, who had a bachelor's degree in theater, and I had a master's degree in theater. So the two of us were quite performative in our helping of customers. To this day, I think the only day I truly enjoyed that work was Black Friday. We were constantly busy. We had customers coming in all the time, asking us questions. We were helping people. And because it was so busy it was and active, uh, actually, I had a good time. Those days where nobody was coming in, we were just, you know, making sure the software boxes were lined up, uh, going over to fix the game wall to make sure there were no gaps. Um, I remember one day people were just dying to leave early. And as five o'clock approached, it was like 10 to five, there were 10 employees standing at the game wall adjusting because the game wall was on the way to the break room where you would clock out. And so eventually a manager came over and chased everybody back uh, a little farther away before five o'clock. One last memory of working at Toys R Us, the second year, one of the assistant managers for whom I had absolutely uh, no respect, he was the, uh, the tie pin guy. He decided that we should move everything from aisle 101 to 102. And so we took everything out of the plexiglass cases, all the computer equipment and everything, and moved it. Of course, we had to be very careful that people didn't shoplift anything. And so we took everything from basically one third of the aisle and put it in the second third of the aisle. This was in preparation for a regional manager coming by. And the regional manager came by a couple days later and said, what did you do? It has to all be put back. This is not how we have our stores. And so we had to put everything back the way it had been before. Why did he decide we could change that? Who knows? But that just took up days of our time that we really didn't need to waste. Not that we were doing anything else if there were no customers, but still. Here's a quick addendum. I just looked up Cabbage Patch Dolls, and apparently the Tickle Me Elmo and Hatchimals were a big deal a few years ago. Anything you want to hear more about from this podcast, I can elaborate. You can get in touch with me several ways. Join my Facebook group, Audio Chimera. Message me on WhatsApp. The number is available on the Facebook group. Leave me a voice message at 724-835-4074. Check out my website and blog at musifier.org. That's M-U-S-O-F-Y-R dot org. And finally, check out my link tree for everything at linktree, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Stephen Shrum. Oh yes, that's Stephen with a P-H-S-C-H-R-U-M. Intro and outro music composed by John Rust. Check out Sound of Rust, that's one word, on YouTube. This is Stephen Shrum. Thanks for listening to Audio Chimera.